Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast when a couple of pastor scholars dig into a seasonally appropriate scripture passage and see how it might be uh, helpful in equipping and edifying for our listeners, especially those who are preparing uh, sermons or teachings uh, for others this upcoming Sunday, or just anyone who wants to uh, grow deeper in their study of the Word. I'm your host, John Drury. I teach systematic theology and spiritual formation for Wesley Seminary at Indiana Wesleyan University. And our guest this week is Ken Shank. Ken is a dear friend and mentor and teacher and leader of mine. He was my uh, dean for many years here at the seminary and uh, my uh, uh, my first professor back in college. Had him for, I don't know, 10 classes, I think. I learned Greek and Latin both from him uh, and learned a lot of my exegetical skills from Ken and has been a continued uh, uh, supporter of me in all my work, especially a great supporter of this podcast. He's been on before. Um, hopefully he'll be on again. He's just now wrapping up as Dean of School of Theology here at Indiana Wesleyan University, but is in transition. And by the time this podcast drops, he'll have already started his new position as the Vice President of Planning and Innovation at Houghton College. So I'm introducing Ken for the first time on the podcast as no longer employee of IW, but as an employee and leader at Houghton College. So keep an eye out, though, still for him. He'll still be on the pod, hopefully uh, relatively regularly. Our text this week is uh, for the 13th Sunday after Pentecost. So this drops early in September. And it's uh, from the Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter the 14th, um, starting at verse 25 and going through verse 33. So Luke 14, 25 through 33, if you're sitting down and uh, you can turn there uh, if you're uh, listening to this um while taking a jog or a drive or whatever, you may want to listen to that on your uh, Bible app um, real quick, that passage, so that it's familiar. Um, although we'll read it, so you'll be fine if not. But uh, in case you want to start digging in uh, during the break here when we get started. So anyway, uh, that's the passage, Luke 14, verses 25 through 33. And make sure to rate and subscribe and review and share the uh, uh, the podcast when you get a chance. And now enjoy the show. So the passage today is Luke chapter 14, uh, reading verses 25 to 33. Now great multitudes were going along with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost, to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and take counsel, whether he is strong enough with ten thousand men, to encounter the one coming against him with twenty thousand? Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks terms of peace. So, therefore, no one of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. Well, well that's fun. Yeah. <laughs> the word of the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks be to God sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Let us pray. Father, we give you thanks uh, always, though we do not always feel thankful. <laughs> we nevertheless, by faith choose to thank you for this day which you have made and for this text which has been handed down to us and for this hour, the opportunity that we have to study the written word of God and with the genuine, though not presumptuous, hope that we will encounter your living word, Jesus Christ, even as we study the Spirit-inspired written word. For we trust that your Holy Spirit did not merely inspire a text and run away, but is still at work in us, 
in this moment as Ken and I converse and in the places and times of whoever listens in on this conversation, wherever they are in life and in task, whatever gifts we and they have, Lord, we entrust ourselves to you that your spirit guides beyond our own human ingenuity. Nevertheless, we ask that you would strengthen our bodies and minds that we may leverage what uh, natural gifts we do have as we study this hour. We trust ourselves to you, Lord, as our creator and redeemer. All glory be to you. Amen. Amen. Thanks again for uh, taking time. Per our usual custom, we usually go in kind of three units. They're not strictly divided, but the classic kind of observation, interpretation, and to use your language, appropriation, which is broader than Although that's a, I like that's a word. Actually. It's a word that uh, is being used negatively. Yeah, a cultural lot. appropriation. So I've, I've been thinking whether I should change it, but anyway. Well, anyway. <clears throat> Incorporation, being incorporated into Christ. I don't know. But then people are like, oh, well. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so uh, we'll just go through those phases and see uh, what emerges. So what jumps out at you just initially? I mean, you already hinted at some of it when you were like, oh, man, <laughs> at the end. But you can start there if you like. But Well, what do you the, notice? The, the hating your own father and mother. Whew. Of course, Jesus is uh, the king of hyperbole, I think. You know, pluck out your eye. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. You know, uh, rip off your, you know, hand. So I don't think he literally means hate, but this idea of – Kingdom values and what's really important, mm-hmm. that God, you know, that all earthly concerns pale in comparison. Um, I'm sorry, I'm doing my, my stream of consciousness. I like it. Stream this, of consciousness um, verse, is the preference. Verse 26, of course, um, I think, uh, I haven't looked, but if, if you were to look at the um, the Jesus Seminars uh, Red Letter Bible, I'm sure that this would be, they would consider this to be an authentic Jesus saying, because no one would make up a <laughs> saying like this. <laughs> right, um, right. The church wouldn't have made up this saying. Uh, the Jews wouldn't have made up this saying. And so even the, the skeptics of the skeptics believe that Jesus said this, which, um, for what it's worth, because it's this, is, helpful, this is, this is so true. countercultural because the family was, you know, the heart of everything, um, in the social world of, of, of Jesus day. So that's one thing that, that jumped out at me. Of course, um, 27, um, is, uh, there's a parallel saying in Matthew. Yeah, that's what I was, I, I left my synopsis Matthew at home. 10, I think it is. Yeah. End of 10. Oh, thank you. Maybe. Which is always, uh, a curious verse because Jesus yeah. hasn't gone to the cross yet. Yeah. You know, so. What, are you, what is he well, talking about? Well, there's another take reference. Up, take up your cross and follow me. What, what is he talking about? Mm-hmm. But I think this, uh, the material on building a tower, going to war, I think that's unique to Luke. I don't think that's any in any of the other Gospels. I believe you're right. And it's very interesting. Of course, I'm not a – I don't plan things out in detail. I'm not That's not my personality. What I do is I I kind of do a sketch in my mind of whether, whether I know I can plan. Do I have enough time to fill in the details? Yeah. Um, but this – but Jesus uh, – Jesus advocates planning here. <laughs> yeah, or at least he at least appeals to the natural human practice of planning, especially notice the examples, the wealthy, they plan at least, mm-hmm. right? It and uses that as a as a as a parable, an analogy, an illustration of the kind of um which is interesting, but, but I, Luke. Yeah, because Luke, yeah, uh, Luke overall doesn't buy that world. That's why I. That's why I, I take it tongue in cheek a little. Like, at least, like the yeah. the, uh, the 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 servant who embezzles from his master. Yeah, is a you know is in a bizarre example. It's almost like uh, get your popcorn and let's let's watch a movie about the way the world works. That has nothing to do with the kingdom of God. Yeah, but it has a little of that, like, serpent. Uh, what is it? The wisest wise serpent. serpent. It's kind of like. Harmless as a dove. Like, because, I mean, again, maybe this is getting too theological too quickly, but it's like, if you believe that God is the creator of all things, then you would expect that there would be wisdom tucked away sure. in the world, even if it's inverted, Right. And, and there's a criticism, I think, sometimes of Jesus, and you could say of then the 
ongoing tradition after him that Luke might be expressing of a kind of a, a affirming the kind of critique of worldly ways, but at the same time, like recognizing the kind of uh, foolishness, you know, and imprudence that sometimes anti-worldly rhetoric can lead us to, you know? So I, 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 I mean, I'm, I'm putting this in my own words, but to say that you, you can, you can say, don't be like the world in certain ways, but you're also not, you're not, you're, it's not meant to be a, a council of, you know, imprudence and stupidity, you know, sure. like that, that actually, do you really, uh, you know, have you really thought these things through? Although in, in this case, it seems so clear that, it, I mean, the analogy ends up being so opposite because he's talking about if you're this wealthy man, you're going to count up all your money. And then at the end, he says, therefore, if you're not going to follow me, you got to give away everything. So he's kind of like yeah. saying, he's not saying, hey, be a good planner so you don't waste money. It's like almost the opposite. It's saying, if the wealthy know that, you know, their exploits have costs, do you not see the cost in following me? But maybe not. Maybe I'm reading into it I wonder too if much. there's a Theophilus angle here. You know, most excellent Theophilus. I've always, <laughs> I always felt, and again, this is this is just one scenario. That if Theophilus is, say, a Roman governor or someone of some means, maybe <laughs> maybe even the one subsidizing the writing of Luke Ash. Sure, that would you know, be. then then Luke is pretty cheeky uh, because Luke Luke is the hardest on the wealthy of any of the Gospels, and here he's writing for somebody who probably is loaded. These, you know, so these examples, if he's a governor, these examples might have been right up Theophilus's alley. But anyway, just a, a, another random no, thought. That's... <laughs> what do you build a tower for? What do you build a tower for? For defense? Yeah. Are these military? Is that a military tower? Um, 28. What's the word? Um, yeah. For which of one of you, who among you, wanting to build a, yeah, a pergone? Right. Yeah. I don't know. It's just the generic word for a tower, right? It's, but it's not. It's not like a, a silo, right? We have a different word for that. We just had that text two weeks, couple weeks back. You know, building the bigger, building bigger barns. You know, that's a different word. Yeah. Luke, it's not storage. It's not a storage tower. The right? tower in Siloam uh, fell on people. That's Pergone uh, as well. That's uh, thirteen four. Nice getting your uh, um, getting your Bible hub on. Yep, and then. Um, <laughs> Mark 12, somebody build a tower and rent it out. I should know these things, of course. No. But, um, yeah. It's a watchtower, is that what it is? Is it to guard? Is it to to see what's going on? Well, for the first time, your question has even raised for me the unity of these two story, these two parables, which always seem like different. Like, oh, he's going to build a tower. I just, it was, a sure. you know. And then a king goes to battle. Right. And all of a sudden it's like the, uh, the notion of a tower, um, as a potentially quasi military embankment, then kind of brings together these yeah. two passages. Yeah. And, and again, it's a little funny to have Luke who, who tends to emphasize the pacifist. Yes. Yeah, so Jesus yeah. <laughs> to be using these, uh, <laughs> you know, it's interesting. The, uh, military analogies. Right? There's, there's not a fight to the death thing here. There's a, okay. Count your troops. Oh, we're, we're going to lose. Send a delegation. You know I mean? There's a very practicality yeah. uh, to this too. That's fun. The children of the, the and then children he goes, of the darkness are <laughs> wiser than you, you know? <laughs> Then he goes to 33, no one can be my disciple who yep. does not give up all of his possessions. That's almost struck me out of nowhere. Where did that come from? Yeah. Uh, but that is very Lucan. And is his interpretation, I would take, of the meaning of carrying your own cross? Matthew doesn't use that same language, 33, uh, that you have in 33. When Matthew says, take up his cross and follow me, you lose your life, you'll find it, find your life. You know, it doesn't say doesn't have that follow up and doesn't uh and they left all and followed him mm-hmm. is highlighted much more in Luke's narrative. So I wonder if there is a kind of uh I know like Joel Green has a book on this stuff on this kind of that there's really an emphasis on on money in Luke right. and the kind of radical call to discipleship. It's very specific. I mean, cuz carrying cross is uh is a uh it's an image. It, it's yeah. also a parable. It's, it's your life, right? Yeah. But what does that mean? Uh, the at its extreme form, it means <clears throat> that you'd be willing to die for me, right? But what does that? What does it look like to prepare to weigh the 
the Desert Fathers would put it. What does it look like to prepare for death? You know, and it seems as though Luke wants to emphasize that uh, carrying the cross has to do with your sort of economic sustenance that you're trusting in the. It, I don't know. You say it comes out of nowhere, and I agree, but you almost wonder if if he's feeling the same discomfort we are at using these parables. You know, you can almost see, you know, you can almost see the picture Luke is painting of Jesus that Jesus is saying, well, look at these, you know, they would count the cost. So how much more should you who follow a completely different standard than them? Namely, you got to give it all up, you know, if you're going to follow me. So I don't know if you want to switch into interpretation. Uh, Yeah, let's, let's take a break and just a quick breath and uh, take a quick break and we'll come back and let's, let's start interpreting a little more. Yeah, it's good. And we're back. And we're back. <laughs> so yeah, what do you want? What do you? So it seems to me that there is a um, a radical, and throughout this entire passage, a radical uh, reorientation of our values uh, around the kingdom uh, of God, and all of these earthly things must everything must go. Um, <laughs> yeah, that um, our possessions, our our lives, our families. Everything, and 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 if you're not willing to commit that radically, you have no business being part of this. That's the cost. The cost is everything. And if you're not willing to give everything, then you have no no part in Jesus, including your mother. And of course, I, I don't know whether this um, some of these sayings are looser. I think in Luke than they are elsewhere. This is why, and I'm sorry, I'm going to do it again. Do it. Yeah. I did it last time. Uh, this is why Luke is often thought to be um, more reflective of Q material than say Matthew, because in Matthew, these like the salt one that follows this, we didn't go on to, mm-hmm. but the next verse is on salt. It's just hanging there in the middle of nowhere. Right. Um, whereas in Matthew, it feels it's, like more of a saying, a string of sayings. It's incorporated yeah. into the sermon, the sermon on the Mount, which is why, um, you know, I, I still favor Q. But anyway, in Matthew, I think it is, or Mark, in Mark, I think it is, doesn't this hating your mother and brother, is that is that p- paralleled with his mother, Jesus' mother and brothers coming to yeah, see check. him? I'm not it's, sure. Uh, that's in Mark 3. I'll look right now. Um, so in Mark. Or perhaps in Matthew. I'm not sure. But, but uh, you remember there are places in the other Gospels where his family does come. And he basically says, you all are my family. Yeah. Who, who are my mother and my brothers? Behold, my, mo- my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God, he is my mother, my brother and sister and mother. So that doesn't have the doesn't more have radical statement. Saying. It might appear in six, but then I don't think he has any family interactions after that. So I'd have to look. But but it, it's interesting to me that in, in the other Gospels, at least, um, Jesus does, in a sense – neglect in the standards of that day you know his own family for the the message of the kingdom he practices what he preaches here right i mean there's not he at least has the integrity of i've heard people say well i'll come back to this let me just follow up on the matthew comparison so in matthew chapter 10 towards the end so he locates it within chapter 10 which is these instructions for um this kind of missionary activity and it, that's a good place to put it, actually, because it's saying, hey, you're, you're not going to be at home helping with the family business. So it says – and it's classic case – it's another piece of evidence that Matthew tends to be more – engages in a little more editorial work if Matthew and Luke are drawing on a written source. Right. So we can just stipulate and make that point because it says, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me classic like he cleaned it up father and mother yeah son and daughter yeah. whereas in luke you know it's kind of jumbled uh <laughs> who does not hate his own father or mother or wife and children and brothers and sisters yeah you know it's like this kind of there's not this whereas matthew yeah. kind of turns it into a little yeah. doublet uh two you know two couplets mother father you know just cleans it up makes it real nice easier to memorize And then right away says, he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Again, using the language of worthy, whereas Luke uses the language of cannot be my disciple. So these are some subtle, interesting 
language differences, but it's still the carrying of the cross and it is still strong. Although the language of hate does not appear here. It's just not love. Love's father more than me. Matthew, now I don't know, I'd have to do some more research, but on the top of my mind, I don't believe it appears at another place. Are you aware of another place where this appears? I don't, I don't know. So, but we'll just take it at that because this is clearly the parallel. Again, if, 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 if they're drawing on a similar source, even if it's not a written source, even if it's an auditor, uh, uh, oral source, oral. if you go for that, there's still a difference here, right? And the difference tells us something about the mind of Matthew over against the mind of Luke, at least. Yeah. You can, I don't get that worried about trying to figure out what did Jesus really say? It's like, no, this yeah. is the canonical Jesus. Yes. We need to hear both. Right. But when we're preaching Luke, we need to preach Luke's perspective, not right. Matthew's, because this is why I like the lectionary, because it's going to force us to talk about Matthew next year, you know? So, um, you can, you can edit this out. <laughs> but, um, I was at a conference. It was a fairly small conference. And uh, if you've ever heard of, uh, those of you listening, if you ever heard of Martin Hengel, who is a yeah. you know, very famous German, uh, and, and, faith-filled uh, German scholar, Bible scholar. He he was a very serious guy, and he came up to the table I was at, not to talk to me. He didn't know me from Adam. But he, he said, what do you all think? Um, if, if there is no cue, then Luke must have taken a hammer to Matthew and smashed it into bits. <laughs> this doesn't make any sense to me. Anyway, yeah. this, is, this, is, this is, again, why I think Mark Goodacre at Duke is all wet if you're listening, Mark. But anyway... <laughs> You can edit that out. No, I love it. Keep it in. It's it, We put it in the correct section, the interpretation section. You, know, you don't <laughs> preach on these things, but it's good background information because then it has you then notice that Matthew is then saying, well, you got to love me more than you love your family, which is a safer instruction. And then it immediately calls into question even your earlier comment, though I agree with it at the end of the day, that Jesus is the king of hyperbole here. Um, I, think that, I think that's going to be crucially important for interpreting a text. How, having said that, if one of our elements in our interpretation is a little bit of cross comparison with Matthew, well, Luke apparently doesn't want to soften this. You know, it has been softened in Matthew. When you preach Matthew, it's, it legitimizes that priority. You care about Jesus more than you care about your family. This is not what Luke is saying. Luke is saying everything, all that you have, um, which, it, and of course, in the ancient world, as you know, and as I assume most of our listeners would know, but just in case helps to remember that possessions, verse 33, right, is bound up with family relations. These are not separate concepts the way they would be for us as modern folk, right? I mean, especially in an agrarian context, like to leave your family, to hate yes. your family, as it were, to to engage in actions that they would regard as hate. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, I think, the instruction, not... You're supposed to have hate in your heart. I don't think he's right. talking about, he's talking about actions. Do th you are being asked, if you follow me, you're, that, that is the equivalent of hating your family as far as they're concerned. And that's just part of the cost. Know what you're getting yourself into. Just like back in 10, let the dead bury the dead, right? This yeah. is a call. Um, you got to choose now. The time is at hand. And that call brings with it these consequences such that like the loss of possessions and the loss of family relations, these are really, that's hard for us to see those as connected. You know, but I think they're crucially connected for them. And and I assume that if you're listening to this podcast, you're you have some common sense. <laughs> I mean, because there are plenty of people who neglect their families, and the Lord's word to them is, "Don't neglect your family." Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Well, that I think that actually brings in the, in the interpretive one of our interpretive angles is to put it in the context. What is he? Well, I guess we have to work it backwards. We've, we've already started with talking about what's Luke trying to do with this. And, and you're saying maybe Theophilus, maybe an audience, maybe he has a more wealthy audience. Given how good his stinking Greek is, I think we, have, I've shared on the podcast before. I don't know what you think of this. It's, it's not, it's a, it's an unanswerable. It's a, what, what's a, what's a, not a hypothesis, but a word for a speculation. A spec, well, but something you never could. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Speculation. Uh, uh, Hope, uh, somewhat helpful speculation is to consider that Luke's emphasis on the poor and the oppressed may be reflective of his own background as someone who's wealthy. You know, he may have some preaching to himself a little, you know, I mean, you tend to, we've talked about that before we started the podcast today. You sometimes, yeah, the, the thing you're looking for in Christ, the thing you see most starkly is sometimes the thing that's, that's opposite of yourself because you, there's another part of you that knows you need to overcome it. And 
Yeah, I mean, I, I and that think gives credibility, I think, to what he's doing. You know, Luke's Luke's Greek is, uh, along with say Hebrews, you know, the best Greek in the New Testament, better than Paul's by far. So, I mean, we we think of Paul as being an educated guy, but but I mean, Luke, Luke on seems, another level, yeah, right. And, and and it seems to me that Paul's education could come by way of a synagogue. Yeah, yeah. it's like the person guys like us who like you know have like. Christian school and Bible school backgrounds, you know, it's not, I mean, we're not, you know, we're wealthy by world standards, yeah. right? But, you know, we know our Greek and our Hebrew, well, you know your Hebrew, I don't know, man, I lost my Hebrew, uh, not not sheerly by dint of financial privilege, but also because of being a part of small sectarian communities that really yes. emphasize learning yeah. the Bible. Yeah. And it just happens to be, we started learning other stuff too, <laughs> you know? Um, and I can see a little of that in Paul. I can see a little of our more sectarian background in him and how that can educate you really well in a certain way. But Luke clearly has a, yeah, a, a cha-ching, yeah, right? The gym, kind of education that costs money. Gymnasium education. Yeah. Greek gymnasium. Yeah. Right? Which costs yeah. cash, right? And you, yeah, or at you least have to be privileged. And not just citizen of the city. Yeah. See, so he's, I, I just think that helps me make sense then of him as a, what he takes from the Jesus traditions and regards. So this isn't about him making stuff up and putting it in Jesus mouth. This is about what is it in the Jesus traditions that are important to him that he wants to highlight for his audience. And perhaps he's seeing a, a, a wealthiness. Maybe he's seeing a bunch of poor Christians getting a little wealthier and he's from the other side. And he's like, guys, don't take, don't be snookered into this. Uh, there's danger here. And we don't need to talk about Matthew, but you could say a similar thing with him. His 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 attacks on on self righteousness may be preaching right. to the choir for himself. Like he, he, that's psych- his background. Psycho right? Yeah, I know that's why this is speculation. <laughs> I'm sorry, but no, it's fun. But if again, if you can think of it as psychological. If I'm as a historical speculation, it's not hopefully excessively psychologizing. Right. If I'm talking about what you taught me to look for, which is the the implied author of the text, right? What's the authorial voice that's uh, and, and so it's, a, it can be an act of literary criticism. Yes. To say that not, not to speculate that he is wealthy, but to say that at least his values are, he, he presents himself as an educated man who's critiquing the very systems that generate education. Right. So that's yeah, there. That's, that's in that's, the text. Yeah. Whatever we know about the man, Luke behind the text, right? And of that's course, in I, the text. The spirit meets us in the gaps too, I think. Say more about uh, we, what would we what would we preach on? You know, yeah, if it spelled everything out for us. <laughs> <laughs> but Ken, does the spirit only meet us in the gaps? Or also <laughs> in the text too? Well, hopefully, the spirit meets us in the text. <laughs> you, you're taking that as presumed. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, can I ask a question? This is the question I want to ask earlier. I have heard many times that, in an attempt to ratchet down the uh, the rhetoric of hate, hate father and mother. And the things I've heard you say, talking about hyperbole, talking about, there are lots of examples of hating father and mother that are not acts of faithfulness, that it's not because you followed Jesus and it put a wedge between you and your parents, which is, I think the, the context that Jesus seems to be talking about here. But, uh, but I've heard people say, well, hate in the, in that world or in Greek doesn't mean hate. Is that just something we say to make ourselves feel better? Like making up that there's a, there's a gate called the needle's eye. <laughs> right. Well, I mean. Is that made up or is that, is that getting at something somewhat true of the language? I mean, I'm not, I done, don't know. I'm not done a thorough study, but the word is maseo. And as far as I know, um, this, this wor- word is, is hate. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I just don't. And, and maybe it's because we're, we're not as skilled in our world or cultural world at, at um, hyperbole and metaphor and things like oh, that. Yeah. And so um, we are a literalist culture. We try mm-hmm. to come up with uh, no, it doesn't literally mean that, uh, or it doesn't mean that. Um, in fact, it's interesting. I'm, I'm reading something here on Bible hub. Uh, it has, Oh, love less. See, I don't think that's, Love less is not what it means. No, <laughs> especially because you could you could create that word, right? Yeah, you could create a, you a, could say that. a, a an alpha privative on the front of right, or or even add the word less yes. micron yeah. in front of agape. Yeah, that you, the fact that that exists in Greek means nope, <laughs> not going to work. <laughs> and uh, and again, I don't 
go in mean, for Jacob, this too much, but Jacob would there be an I... Aramaic background to the word that might flavor it? But I feel like that would only ratchet it up. Hebrew's highly concrete. You know, it wouldn't have an abstraction like love yeah. less. That's that, that's a concept Anybody that a Hebrew... nose doesn't burn against their father. <laughs> right, 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 <laughs> I think this is meant to... It occurred to me even the fact that we're so text-oriented. Um, we're... It occurred to me, I've, the phrase popped in my head. I probably stole it from someone, uh, maybe from you, uh, that literate cultures can fall into literalism, right? I mean, there is a kind of a text, a written text seen with the eye gives a sense of control. It's there. It's why you have to say it's found in the gaps. That's almost a meaningless statement in oral, in an oral culture, right? <laughs> Of course, there's gaps because I said it and there's pauses. Those are called pauses, which are part of the text in the oral sense of a text, sure. right? And so you you could say it, but it means a very different thing to say that the spirit moves in the gaps. Well, yeah, it's in the gap between when I spoke and you spoke. Yeah, right? It's a, It has a different yeah, flavor. Yeah, yeah. And I wonder if our struggles with literalism are somewhat to do with the writtenness Although the literateness is already happening in the first century. I'm not saying it's not just a modern thing, because, of course, Matthew and Luke are writing this down. Right, yeah. And Matthew felt the need, apparently, to ratchet it back, or Luke right. felt the need to ratchet it up. Right. I, we don't have to dis- make maybe, a decision maybe, on maybe that. Although little, I'm with you. It's maybe a Matthew, little of both. Too. Yeah. Well, we don't have to take a stand on it. The fact that there's a difference tells us that there is an oral – because surely at some point there's an oral tradition, whether that oral tradition is mediated to Matthew and Luke by a, a cue, so to speak. There's at least at some point – we have no reason to believe that Jesus was writing things down. We have every right. reason to believe that he was saying things and then his disciples were saying things and, and that some of these adjustments may have been made along the way. Yeah. Um, and that sometimes changes between the authors could be even debates about what they what believe. Jesus, what Jesus right? Meant, right. Right. Yeah. So there could be that debate is already happening. I'm not saying this is not just an ancient versus modern, although I think it's radicalized in our modern sort of scientific culture yeah. to say, well, it has to literally mean if it either literally means hate or it doesn't mean anything. And so we want to translate it as something safe instead of like hearing it. If Because this seems a lot to me and the, the context matters of the whole book of Luke. This is in the middle third of Luke. So he's on the way to Jerusalem. This is, this isn't the welcome. This isn't the welcoming uh, season. All come to me. This is the, now I'm heading to Jerusalem. You now really want to be a part of this? Now we're winnowing down, you know, who's following me. From a from discipleship to followership, right? It not yeah. just sitting at my feet learning, right? Anyone's welcome there, but are you willing to get up on your feet and follow me to Jerusalem and die with me? When that happens, the stakes are raised, and do you know what you're getting into? And it's also an act of grace because it's saying, if you really don't want in on this, here's your chance. You know, he's given an exit ramp in a way. And it makes me think of John six. Yeah, John six. Is that where you're going? <laughs> well, I mean, that's what you're triggering. Yeah. That's exactly where my mind was going. It was kind of like it. We may miss the very meaning of the passage if we don't hear that he may be wanting to shock his hearers. Um, who wants to follow a guy who's telling me to hate my father and mother? Exactly. Yeah. It, 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 if that troubles you, this is your opportunity to ask: Are you in? And the band, are you in? The band meetings are always smaller than the class and society. Yes. Yeah. What's this going to cost you? you? You you did trigger the idea of um, there may be a Semitic resonance here. You know, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I yes. hated. I mean, so so did did God really hate Esau? I mean, I don't know. Maybe maybe in Genesis that is what we're supposed to, uh, uh, or is, that's a Romans text. But um, I think he's quoting. The yeah, he's Testament. quoting. Uh, what is it? A Psalm or a, a? No, it's from Genesis itself. Yeah, but, yeah. but anyway, um, go ahead. But. Uh, so you have that language of hate in the well, Old Testament. And look where Paul himself locates it. It's in the notion of election. Right. And and it's and the, the nearness and notice Luke actually uses in place in, in Math where Matthew and Mark say, This is my beloved son in the Transfiguration. Luke says, This is my chosen son. Now but those are actually more synonymous than we grasp. Beloved the beloved son is code for the one you've chosen, right? The, the blessed right. one, right? It doesn't, right. it's default the first, but if you had a second child that you switched the, right? I think this is the, at least one, this is a way that the first century was interpreting the Genesis texts, the notion of choosing, of electing. And that even is retained in, in, in like in Latin, 
this is super not relevant, but I'm going to tell you anyway. But, uh, <laughs> but like the word for election is electio, cho- chose to choose is to electio. And the one of the key words for love is delectio. It's very close. Okay. And it, and it, and the, and the medieval, I mean, Aquinas plays on this. And probably different. God electios us because he delectios us, right? It's, it's very and different, different presuppositions. Yes. I mean, prepositions, I mean. Different, well, but also different presuppositions too, right? It's the sense of, but we know this when we think of the love of friendship in particular, there's an element of choice, right? I choose, right? And so if, if you hear that's helping me to say, this is the moment of choice. Do you choose your family or do you choose me? And at least when it's on the way to Jerusalem, and then that becomes a contextual question for us as we transition into application in a moment is when is it time? How, how do we discern when we're in Galilee versus on the way to Jerusalem? You know, <laughs> when is it time to say, right? It's, it's yeah. all or nothing. And yeah. when is it time to say all yeah. are welcome? And these are both true. But one of the things I love about lectionary preaching is says, okay, this Sunday, I'm going to have to talk about this text. Right. Yeah. And, and, and then in my preaching, I had to figure out how to balance that out. So with that said, let's take a break and come back and write a sermon. Sound good? Sounds good. All right. And we're back. Oh, boy. How do you preach this text, man? Ugh. It's a hard one because, I mean, family. You know, I don't know whether this is profitable. Feel free to, to uh, edit it out. But um, the recent politics in America yeah. have caused lots of divisions in families. Yeah. And, of course, uh, I wouldn't want to de-Christianize one or the other uh, side in those sorts of mm-hmm. those sorts of debates. But I remember um, someone actually in my family, they weren't. I hope they weren't talking about me. But said something like, uh, "In these days, um, I feel closer to my people I know know at church than I do to some of my own family." Yeah, or something like that. There, there are times I think in 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 the life of of the church uh, when uh, there are, there are divisions within families yeah. within the church over or what different sides think is right. Um, I'm not quite sure what to do with that. I'd like to think I'm on the right side, um, but you know there are there are times when we go our separate ways because you have a completely different vision of the kingdom than I do. I I, I don't know what to do with that. But it's a, it, it, this passage invites that. It's one of those things where when something's going on in our culture broadly or in our local communities, and the ob- the resonances strike us. As preachers, the general rule of thumb is to gird your loins and have the courage to bring that into the sermon, right? To, right. to find a way to address it. Now, to address it in a way that doesn't just cheapen, but, but honors that experience and lets the text speak into it. I mean, as you mentioned it, I, I can't help but th- there could be stories that could be told oh, yeah. in a sermon of these kind of experience. And then I think it actually, it could actually ironically be an opportunity to critique some of that, some of that behavior to kind of say, cause one way to preach this is instead of softening it, but to say, to offer principles of discernment in terms of that phrase I used earlier, when were you in Galilee, when were you in Jerusalem? And to kind of say, have we made following this or that politician or this or that ideology, even that we perceive as based in Christian principles, have we substituted that as following Christ? Sure. And if we are hating father and mother, as it were, in order to not take up our cross, but to take up our sword, then that, that's the way I'd want to say yeah. it. It's like, what are, if we're, if we're picking a fight rather than suffering one, and then back to it is to say, now, if things are troubling your family, I'm not saying you can just fix that overnight. What I'm saying is that's a cross. When things are tense, Part of it is the humility to recognize that if, if I sense that me and my family are not on this, you know, my extended family are not on the same page politically and that, that both of us believe that our political convictions are flowing from Christian convictions, which is the case, I think, a lot yes, these days for absolutely. us, that when that happens to perhaps recognize that relinquishing, quote, hating father and mother in that context 
might mean relinquishing the attempt to fix them, but to recognize that there's, this is, this is something I need to suffer. Right. So I got a lot of friends. I mean, I'm, I'm, uh, blessed with, uh, you know, uh, politically strange parents. Um, <laughs> I say strange. They're not just, cause they're not exactly identical to me. They're just strange, right? They don't fit a lot of the expectations. You know what I mean? But, uh, but I've got some friends who their relations with their parents or siblings and the, the sibling ones are often harder actually. Cause at least you can say, oh, well, the older generation doesn't get it. But with the sibling ones can be really tough. And I have had some friends and, but when I hear the kinds of things they're trying to do to fix their parents, you know, again, I'm privileged. I don't get it. But there's a part of me that says this passage could speak into that, even though it seems like it's saying, yeah, I hate, hate them all the more. It may be recognize that if you think this is where the gospel is taking you, this is, this is, this may be causing strife in your relations and with your, with your family and rushing to try to fix that might be missing the suffering that you've been invited into. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's a hard sermon. That's that I wouldn't enjoy preaching. (laughs) Your your brother said something um, that has really stuck with me. Uh, You know, there were so many Facebook defriendings in 2016, I think. And And your brother said uh, something. He tweeted this, I think I'm neither conservative nor liberal, but radical. Mm -hmm. And of course, how do you play that out is the question. But but I think what this was, text fits that. I mean, what what it was basically trying to say is that that um, I don't fit the conservative tribe on some issues, and I don't fit the liberal tribe on some issues. You know, because I'm trying to I'm trying to live out of the core kingdom vision um, rather than out of a particular human tribe uh, that is visible or you know is can be identified. Again, maybe. Um, I don't know. He's not here to, to explain what he meant. Well, but we I, can just take the phrase because it's not, he invented it, but I mean, it, it's uh and it's a beautiful captures this passage in a way, because it's not like at first glance, it might sound like, Oh, hating father and mother. That's a, that's not a conservative thing. Right. But there's nothing about the American liberal tradition that is parent talking about parent <laughs> hating or, or, or giving up possessions. It's just as much about possessions left and right are all, economically overdetermined in the worldview, right? And to be a radical follower of Christ in a Lucan way that says, I'm called to, um, at the very least, a non-avaricious relationship with my possessions. Right. If not, perhaps, if, or unless giving up actually literally means I need to sell it and give it. Need to be willing to do that, I think. At least a readiness. Willing to give up my life, willing to give up my things. Willing to give up my family. And the willingness is tested in opportunity. So if if you say, oh, I'm willing, but if opportunities occur that are not leaned into, then readiness is an escape. Hatch. Go and be so, well fed. Yeah. So it really needs to be lived out. But I mean, you know, if you're and, – and I've seen, again, my brother's like the little secret star of this. Sorry, but I mean, he's kind of like – I've seen him live this out to engage in certain kinds of radical discipleship. And – that uh, readying oneself for death is, of course, really liberating and really inspiring, you know, and but also uh, <laughs> troubling, you know. Yeah, there, I, there's a big, deep desire on my part to want to, you know, want to apply. I want to always make sure that a sermon is going to make specific, concrete invitations that don't unduly bind someone's conscience, but invite them into new ways of living. And it's so funny when I think of how do I get to the end of this sermon and say, here's three things to do, especially when I want to say, maybe half of this room is in a different season where you don't need to hear this right now. And maybe it's learning how to preach that way. I mean, my dad likes to say that. He says every week that half the room should get a pass. You heard him say this? (laughs) I don't remember. Well, it's, it's a wisdom about altar calls. So you know those altar calls where you're like, yeah. if it's this or this or this, then come forward. It's <laughs> Everybody's like, you're welcome. hedging your bets, bro. And it actually <laughs> undermines the main point to not say, this is the thing this week. And to just say, and even occasionally even say it, you know, half you this week, this is not your struggle. And that's okay. Just, you know, now that's a problem if every week you're only preaching to one half of the room, sure, the same half. Sure. Um, but the idea that every sermon has to speak to every person is, you know, just 
foolish, in fact. You know, so I think a clear message of, and maybe even finding a way to say that somewhere in the sermon, to say, you know, some of you are being called to restore broken relationships. That's not this week's sermon. You know, <laughs> like to even just learn to be okay. I mean, this is often during the third section, we end up giving generic homiletical right. advice that's related to the text, but instead of writing a full-blown sermon. But this is the kind of sermon where I would want to say, in, this would be my biggest advice is instead of engaging in hermeneutical somersaults to get people off the hook of this radical challenge. I'd say it would be better to keep the challenge, keep the rhetoric strong, but make it very clear that some people, this is not your week, you know, and you're just, you're free to just enjoy the music this week. You know, that's okay. Um, and who that is, I'm going to leave that up to you to discern that. Uh, and it's kind of basically saying, if you want to get yourself off the hook, I'm giving you that permission, but I'm not going to let you off the hook by making the sermons, the text softer than it is. It's, it's, it's calling for radical discipleship. And then practically that means literally the last line. I mean, I mean, Jesus doesn't leave it vague. So then none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his possessions. I feel like the sermon would be centered on this. It would be to say, first of all, do you want to be his disciple? Is that where your desire lies? And then the second all is, are you hearing the invitation to give it all up? And are you ready to use that language, readiness? And then the third thing I'd want to say is, okay, what's the first thing you're going to give up? Because maybe you're not going to give it all up ever or at once, but you, well, let's, let's be clear. You are going to give up everything when you die, yes. right? That's the f- <laughs> naked came I into this world. <laughs> that is essential. Naked shall I leave you. Yeah. That's essential. Uh, that's essential. So you, that, maybe that's a way to say it is you, you're, you're going to give it all up when you leave. Quote that line. And in a sense, you already have in your baptism. You've died and your life is hid with Christ in God. And so in God's eyes, you don't longer have possessions because when you die, you don't have legal right to them. And all the more on kind of God being our creator, he had, they were always on loan anyway. But we don't have to bring that in with this passage. This is about death, not about birth, right? So. So these aren't yours. So what you going to give up this week? That, I think that's how you could apply it because Lenny leaving, and that's how I'm being convicted as we talk, is I'm going to say, okay, between, you know, I've got a week now for myself. That's my sermon to me is to say, okay, what's the thing I'm going to let go of this week? You know, um, what am I going to give away? Or what's the thing I'm holding on to too tightly? Exactly. Yeah. And that's where we might need to start. Although maybe we can't start there. Maybe we need to start with the easier thing. <laughs> now, um, I, if I were preaching this uh, this Sunday... I'm in the middle of a move mm-hmm. and uh, oh, perfect. my, um, my, my default is let's throw everything in boxes and deal with we'll, it later. We'll deal with it Me later. Too. Me too. But uh, my wife has a friend uh, who I do like, but I'm going to call her a friend in quotation marks because <laughs> she's taking my wife room by room, throwing stuff out. And, and <laughs> I was very peaceful about this move until this, this process began. And so, um, uh, it's interesting when I left the house this morning, there were my wife's shoes all over her bed and shoes are a thing for my wife. And she was deciding which shoes do I throw out wow. for me? It's books. I found mm-hmm. a book on transistor electronics from the seventies in my attic, you know, that I thought, do I need that? Probably not. I don't know, but to I be, might someday <laughs> to be continued on whether I actually get rid of it or not. But, oh, but, man. but I think moving and if you're preaching, I'm sure you've moved. Yeah. Um, oh, that's that perfect. process of, of deciding. I feel like things are being amputated from my body. That's the intro to this sermon. Start there. The, yeah. the, the, the family stuff, save it for later in the sermon. You know what I mean? I think that's good. You know, that, like that, cause there's funny, that can be funny. Yeah. Right. Oh, that's perfect. If I'm, yeah, if you're, if you're stuck and this is Monday morning and you're just, you're listening to this on your commute or your drive or in your office with the text open and you're preaching this Sunday and you're kind of starting from scratch, you're a little stuck, you know, hopefully you don't do that every week, but you know, we all have weeks like that. I always, I was, I didn't even start on Monday uh, when I was a weekly preacher, but edit that out. No, no, leave it in. <laughs> Everyone has their way. Right. But, uh, that's a sermon, you know, start, tell, tell some stories with moving and learning to let go, you know? And, uh, and then if you're looking for three points, move into that, right? Do you want to be his disciple? Have you really looked square in the eye? What that demands of you? That's the the parable here. And then third and last, what are you going to let go of this week? And maybe not even this week. 
this afternoon. It's Sunday, man, right? You have time. You're at home. Go home. And by the end of the day, find something that you're going to you're gonna get rid of. And I'm even being convicted that maybe I need to stop being the one who takes things to goodwill because I volunteer to do that because I like errands because I'm the thing I'm the most avaricious about most stingy with is my time and my space. And I like alone time. I'm introverted. And uh, so I volunteered to do errands to get alone time, but, but there's a second function, which you is can, I, I you can plot how frequently that happens and how young the children are. You know? Yeah, right. Oh, totally. <laughs> but I mean, regularly I will go to Goodwill with a, cause Mandy loves throwing stuff out and have a vat of books and I go through them. And take five back out. <laughs> I mean, every time. I don't even know if she knows that. <laughs> I need to at least confess it to her. Don't tell me why. Don't tell my wife. I've taken out a storage shed to put. <laughs> Actually, she knows about it. Well, this won't drop till September. So it'll, it'll be all be over by then. <laughs> I think that's a great way to start, though. It's funny, but it's very real. And the giving up of all possessions begins with giving up the first possession, you know? And I think that's something actually you don't have to give the whole room a pass on. That's what you could give a partial pass is to say, you know, some of you maybe are hearing a call to a more radical kind of poverty and simplicity. Yeah. We don't have to get into that this week. Just everyone though needs to hear what's the thing, the first thing, what's that first possession you're going to let go of. It's just got to start somewhere. And I think that's a way that doesn't say, oh, Jesus isn't really asking. I think he is. I think he is asking us to give it all up. I think he really is. I just also believe he's deeply gracious about what discipleship looks like. And it might take a while, but I don't want to, I don't want to, uh, I want that invitation to be strong, but then graciously applied. I don't know. Is that making any sense? Yeah. Or? Yeah. Well, you've done it again. You've wasted another good hour with, yeah. Uh, to quote the car talk guys. Right. But, uh, <laughs> st- well, how could it be wasting? Maybe with us, but not with the scripture. Scripture right? can never be wasted. <laughs> The Lord will add a blessing to the reading of his word. I remember when I grew up, remember hearing that? Some people would read the text and say, may the Lord add a blessing. Yeah. Then I remember someone starts saying, the Lord will add a blessing to his word. Like, you can tell someone was saying, like, I don't like that. I'm going to say it differently. <laughs> we all have our things. Yes, we do. Our hangups. So thank you so much, everyone, for listening in. I want to say a big thank you to Ken. Been a uh, pleasure. For for chiming in. I hope to have you back uh, as often as as is fitting for you. And I'm going to miss doing this in the flesh since you're, by the time this drops, you will be in Houghton. And I'm so excited for you and your new position. What's, what's the name of the position again? It's um, Vice President for Planning and Innovation. Planning and I'm so jazzed. We need to talk some more about it, but that's not for the pod. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I want also to say thanks to Eric Fisher and to Todd Bouchong and all those who help with uh, the editorial and processing work. And every time Ken this week said, edit this out, don't. It's all good. Leave it in. Uh, leave it all in. Um, and I want to thank uh, Tom Adamson for donating the uh, theme music. And yeah, thanks most of all to all our listeners and thanks to God for the way he's working in your life. And I hope that you will have a good preach and a great week. Bye-bye. Bye.